Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Okay, thank you. Um, My name is Pamela. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I am going to share what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. I don't have anything prepared because I just volunteered to do this, but um, I'm always glad to be of service, and I love to talk. So what was it like? I was a miserable person. Um, My first diet was at age 10 years old. My best friend was kind of slender, and so was her sister, so that was their genes. My genes were to be the tallest, the biggest, the toughest, and I felt the fattest. So I went on my first diet when I was 10 years old. So it's hard for me to know what I am compulsive and obsessive about because if you put it out there, a Hershey bar, Chardonnay, marijuana, sleeping pills, a Neiman Marcus credit card, oh, better be Saks Fifth Avenue, I think Neiman Marcus is out of business, and, or Brad Pitt, it, I'd have a hard time choosing, because I can use and abuse every one of those things to avoid facing life. But I went for food, because when you went on your first diet at 10 years old, and your use of diet pills, sleeping pills, were all to make yourself thinner, then I think my problem really is my my body image. So when I first came in the program, I was doing my first step out of the workbook, and it said, tell us what your eating behavior was like before you came to the program. And I thought it was asking about diets because I didn't know anything else about eating. I mean, there weren't any feelings involved. Of course not. So I wrote down all of my diets before I weighed, after I weighed, how much I lost, and how much I lost in all. And between ages 10 and age 50, I had gained and lost 685 pounds, never weighing more than 220, never weighing less than 120. So I got to practice all of the phases of this disease. So I know what it's like to, um, well, I guess I took herbal laxatives and I told everybody I was cleansing, but I wasn't. I was making the scale move. That's all my life was about. The scale needed to move down. It was a good day. The scale moved up. It was a bad day. And I just couldn't stop eating. And I'd been to every, every uh diet program there was and I did them three times. I was a rock star the first time. I passed the second time and the third time I failed miserably and I just didn't know what to do. And I had a friend, a college a college sorority sister who was doing the twelve steps as part of the AA program and she was staying with me at that time and I noticed She would go down into this room and be quiet every day and write all this stuff and then meet with her sponsor. And she, when she gave away that fifth step, 
I saw a perceptible change in who she was. Now, I still was not as messed up as she was because I'm a pretty cool cat here. So I, but I said, gee, if I could just change my life. So I went about very compulsively, not even going to a meeting till I had found a sponsor who she had suggested who had a good pro- program in, in AA and would walk me through the steps. Well, you know, that man, man plans and God laughs. And that's exactly what happened. In six weeks, she decided she was going to go to another program and she left me and I didn't know what to do. So those of you that don't have a sponsor, this is how you do it. You turn around, you listen to somebody, you like what they say, ask them. And if they don't know anybody, ask them if they have. And just keep doing that because that's what I did. Actually, I went to a program. I went and I heard somebody speaking at a meeting about five days after this other sponsor quit. And that was the perfect sponsor. And it was just kind of like random, like, oh, that was a good speech. I'll take it. Now, a lot of people say they came for the vanity, they stayed for the sanity. Yes, having gained 685 pounds and being obsessed about my body size, I really came so I could be happy with my body size. But I came to a few meetings, and this is what I heard. I heard people say, I don't know, I went in this program and I'm abstinent and my mother and I, I never liked her and we fought all the time and now we just, I'm going out to lunch with her tomorrow and it's like I'm going out to lunch with her and then I'm going shopping with my girlfriend. It's not like, oh my God, I'm having lunch with my mother. Oh my God. It was like just another thing happening in their day. I said, that's what I want. And you know, I'm just going to tell you, I got it. So after I'd been in the program a while and I was working on that ninth step and I was making amends, okay, I had a real problem with honesty. We'll maybe get back to that. So I I was making amends and I was saying to the Hyatt, you know, I took a bunch of towels and I'm saying to the Hilton, I took a bunch of towels. I was going to say to the Waldorf, if you sent me three more knives, I would have a service for eight. In the cutlery I've stolen from you. But, okay, so I wasn't quite there, and I've been giving this money away, and I don't even remember this. I guess Mother's Day was coming up. A shelter had asked me to give them money. Everybody, the high at the Hilton, they all said, ah, just give it to charity. Now, I thought I was off the hook. No. Wasn't. Had to give back the amount of money that I thought I had taken from people who said, we're just glad you're in the program. I had to give it back. I don't remember. They sent me a thing about sending money. So I said, okay, I have $10,000 to give away, and I'm writing them a check. And I don't even remember it. And, like, two weeks later in the mail, I get a letter. This is a thank you from the Union Rescue Mission, and we are very happy to dedicate a table to the memory of your mother, my mother's name, etc. And I said, I don't even remember doing that. This is what the program does. This is why I stay in the program. Now, how do I work my program? What do I do? Okay, 
I wear my abstinence like a loose cloak. What does that mean? That means it doesn't bind me. It doesn't constrict me. It doesn't limit me. It keeps me warm. It keeps me safe. It keeps me feeling loved, supported. That's what it does. That's how I do my abstinence. So I don't start over. You know, I started over 15 diets three times between age 10 and age 50. I didn't have another start over in me. So I wear my abstinence like a loose cloak. And I don't start over. So when I started, I said, I know my problem is sugar. I know my problem is sugar. I said, I'm not going to do sugar. That lasted five days. So what did I decide? I decided I would do three meals a day and two snacks. And I thought that sounded a lot like my mother who would like have dinner and lunch at specific times. And it wasn't convenient for my schedule nor did I feel hungry at those times. I felt hungry in the middle of the night. So, you know, but, so I thought, no, but I did it. And, and I just stuck on it. So, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. That's what it tells us in the big book. That's the way our changes are made. That's the way we get spirituality. That's the way we make changes in our life. It doesn't happen overnight. My abstinent date is April 15th, 1994. And I did an abstinence I could do. I gave up sugar forever on July 5th, 1998. So if you people come in and you're new and you're thinking, my main problem is going to be fixed overnight, not. But don't worry about it. It's in God's time. And it'll happen in the time that it's meant to happen for you and your life. And it's the perfect time for you. It's never too late. It's never too early. And let me tell you, I am done with sugar. Done, done, done. You could put sugar here. Ew. I don't even want to touch it. You know, I'm just not into it. And I don't do any uh, chemical artificial sweeteners because they're chemical and I just don't want to do that. I have an, and, and, and I took me another 18 months to give up wheat. And so I became gluten free and now April 1st of 2020. Yeah. 94, 98, 2020. That's what it took me. But look at me now. I'm perfect. I'm wearing a smaller size than I've ever worn. The scale stays the same. How did I do it? Well, I did the best I could. I didn't start over and I didn't quit. I just kept going forward, going forward, going forward. And so now what I do is, oh, so when I came in the program, I heard somebody say, I used to hate my mother. Now we get along fine. I thought that's what I want. And then I heard other people say, you know, I weigh and measure because it just makes me so much more relaxed just to be free of exactly what the food did. I thought I'm never going to weigh and measure. And then 
I heard somebody say, I'm going to visit my family for Thanksgiving, and there's going to be a lot of trigger food and trigger people, so I'm bringing food in my suitcase. I said, I would rather be fat than bring food in my suitcase. Okay, so the last time I was at the airport, true story, I am going through the x-ray machine, and all of a sudden the guy says, come over here, ma'am, don't touch anything, step back. And I had some vegetarian tofu sausages that were frozen in my carry-on, and I guess they looked like explosives. So anyway, he told me, next time, just take them out. Yes, I carry food in my suitcase. I carry food in my purse. I carry food in my everywhere. I carry food I can have. Why be, why get stressed? Because we feel hungry and we don't have something. I always have a protein bar, nuts, a piece of fruit. You know, that's just what I do. And then I don't have to run in to McDonald's and get something that's not abstinent. But to tell you the truth, and my sponsor told me this 15 years ago, she said, I can go into 7-Eleven and eat an abstinent meal. And I can go into McDonald's. I can go. It's hard to go into a bakery. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. I can't go to a bakery or a donut shop, but I can go to a food place. And even though it might not be a vegan health food restaurant, I can get a meal that really works for me. And that's just by the grace of this program. And the idea that I had a sponsee once. She called. She said, I'm trying to give up sugar and I'm on the beach and I have a popsicle here and I have a ice cream bar here and I'm eating them both. And I said, oh, well, let me ask you something. Do you have a five-gallon container of Ben and Jerry's in a cooler waiting for you? And she said, no. And I said, well, it seems in this moment you've made a very bad food choice. So, you know, let's just forget about it. Eat the rest of the bars. Don't eat the rest of the bars. I don't care. But let's talk about dinner. And that's kind of the way I do my life. We don't start over. As soon as you make the mistake, you get right back on the horse and ride. One of the reasons I write my food down is something that was already read to you today, and I just have to uh, repeat it from Chapter 5 because it's my story. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. Is that me? Yeah, I worry about that. I think I am such a liar, cheater, stealer, and always have been, and I don't feel I'm completely clean for it now. So, you know, I weigh and measure my food. I write it down in an app. Sometimes I eat more. How long? Five minutes. Five minutes. Thank you. Sometimes I eat more. Sometimes I eat less. God, you know, it's not. I don't look at it and beat myself up. I've eaten things that I would prefer not to eat. I ate, so I ate a gateway food, which is 
I say eating a gateway food is kind of eating something that tastes like, feels like, experiences exactly like something that you're not eating. So that's why I'm very, very, very careful with sugar substitutes because I don't want to get in love with that sweet taste all the time. I'm done with it now, and let's just keep it that way. So how do I keep my program? Well, I think I sponsor about seven people, um, and I talk to them a couple times a week. I do a tenth step every day. And I've looked and looked in my little copy of the big book here to see if I could find it exactly. And I kind of can. It's kind of like doing a smooshed up fourth step where you say, where was I selfish, resentful, fearful? And then you go through it. You write down, where did you help others? Where did you do service? What are you grateful for? Oh, my favorite question. Where did I see God? You know, and I try to answer those. And sometimes uh, what made me really happy was the Dodgers one. You know, <laughs> and they're not always life-changing. The children are no longer starving. You know, something that made my garden looks good. My pool looks clean. My my refrigerator is clean. My floors are clean. I, I love clean. Okay, but I just look at those little things in life that make me feel a little better. And I try to be willing to let newcomers call me or old-timers call me. I try to be willing to share this information. I have been very blessed because a member of this program sends me a rather long text in the morning, which includes something from for today. Now, my for today book, right, 27 years is held together with masking tape and a rubber band. Okay, so it's really nice when my phone goes beep at 745 and I get for today. I get the whole thing. I get what somebody really feels about it. I get some AA literature. I get some AA thoughts. And they're just like the most wonderful things to start my day. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I use in the morning to wake up and to do my meditation. Um, I'm just going to look at... uh Okay, well, today's thing ended with a thought to ponder. The three P's. Pause. Pause. Ooh, I could talk for an hour about pause. Pray, because pause. God jumps into our existence during our pause, pray, and then proceed. I mean, what a wonderful thing for a compulsive overeater. You know, and I do tell people, if you feel... So what do I do when I have, when I'm, when the potato chips say, I want the bag, I take out one serving, I put it on a plate, I eat all of my food on a plate, I put it on a plate, and I look at my watch and I say, oh, well, it's 920. I, I don't, maybe this is a lunch thing, I don't know why I'm looking at it. So I take one serving, which I have carefully counted into the bowl, eight chips, the eight biggest chips. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. And if they're really little, two get to count for one. I, I, You know, I'm compulsive. This is what I do. But I'm proud of it, you know. And I put the bowl down and I say, 
I'm going to get back to you in five minutes. You know, I had the urge to shove this entire thing in my mouth. There, there, you know, I think I'm just going to add it onto my lunch. That's always my first thought, and I walk away. And, you know, then the cat does something. You go outside. The mailman shows up. The phone rings. Ah, it's gone. Pause. That's my pause. So anytime I am overwhelmed with an urge to open my mouth, oh, and my abstinence about is about what goes in my mouth and what comes up. Out of my mouth. Oh, I hate that part. Um, but I have to be very careful of it. So, so I look at, I take a pause when I have an uncontrollable urge to share my undying wisdom and criticism and, and positive reinforcement from the day. I shut my mouth unless somebody asks for it. And then I still keep my mouth shut for 30 seconds and see if they really need to hear what I have to say. Okay. Well. I've had my time. Thank you very much, and I look forward to hearing any of your questions. Thank you. All right. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are her own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. And Pamela, would you like me to call on them? Yeah, would you, would like you call on them? Yeah. And okay, so then I'll call on you and uh, you can unmute and ask your question. All right. First one I see is Ellie. Hi, Ellie, compulsive overeater. Um, grateful to be in this program. Pamela, thanks so much for your share. Um, would you please talk about how service of both above and at the group level have helped your recovery? Oh, thank you. Um, okay, so I heard a speaker say that Service is really what it saves us no matter what. Service inside and outside of these rooms. So I, I try to keep that in uh, mind. Um, I have been, I think I came in the program and I got on the LA Intergroup Board. I think I was treasurer and I did that for a few years on and off and I have been on the Region 2 um, board. I have been chair of that board for four years. I've been active in world service. I've done chaired conventions for the region in Palm Springs, for LA at the Hilton in 2015, and uh, world service in 2010. So, okay, what did that that's the real question. So I, I'm, I'm a rock star. What can I tell you? But what did it do for me? First of all, it taught me how to work with a bunch of really sick people who all have control issues, who all have their own thoughts about things, who are not always the most free-thinking, loving people in the whole world. I say that if you can function on a board of any level above the above your meeting 
you could run the world because you really have to learn how to get along with people. But then the second thing happens is whether or not these people were in your mind sick, I'm sick. And so you form bonds with them. And it's so nice when I speak on these meetings or anywhere for someone to say, I was with you at World Service and we were on a finance recommendations committee in 28. You know, I mean, this, it's giving of myself. It's learning to keep my mouth shut. But most of all, it's forming the basis for this program, which is fellowship, which is support from other people. And just like I saw what I thought was the worst side of them, they obviously saw the worst side of me because I'm controlling and I have my own opinion. And I'm always going to tell everybody what to do and how to do it. That's just the way I am. So, and they all put up with me and they still interact with me and they're people I can look back who are part of my posse. It's a very loose posse, but no matter where I go, I have support from other people. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Next is Ginger. Hi, thank you, Pamela, so much for your share. I really appreciated a lot that you had to share. Um, I would love to ask about change. How in your the time you've been working the program has your relationship to and concept of your higher power changed as well as how has your relationship with people or the way you approach the world or I guess interpersonal dynamics um, your own self view changed either dramatically or subtly okay well um, it's sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly so Doing service was good, but I'm kind of that kind of person. I'm always there to help somebody out. That's just kind of my personality type. I think it's just because I want to be in charge and tell them what to do. But many people perceive it as help. Other people perceive it as other things. Okay, so I didn't, when I came in the program, I didn't have a higher power. I didn't have a religion. I have both now. And my higher power is the one that put that cloak, that loose-fitting cloak around me, which is my abstinence. And it loves me, and it forgives me, and it supports me. And I've had a lot of things happen recently that have put me... I had a car accident and I thought I was underinsured and I went through, and it was very hard. I went through a lot of imaginations and my sponsor kept saying, God, God is either everything or God is nothing. So why are you worrying about being underinsured? So I was having a real hard time figuring out what's the difference between the footwork and what's the, what's the difference between turning it over. Where is that? You know, my Eskimo says that's the crux, the wisdom to know the difference. And I just work on that every day. I do the best I can. I'm not perfect, but everything turned out okay. Now, what did I do? I was in an auto accident. There were some Issues that weren't real clear. And somebody who I met at this meeting 
who isn't even in this country. I told her, I said, you know, my friend, my insurance company wrote me a letter and said, if you're having trouble with these things, get your own lawyer. I don't want to get my own lawyer. I already paid for them, for God's sakes. Why aren't they taking care of me? I mean, what kind of world is this? I'm writing a letter to God. You fooled me again. But I didn't do that. You know what I did? I called a lawyer. I hired a lawyer. And, you know, this accident has been dragging off for a year and a half. I contacted a lawyer. I then contacted my insurance company, telling them I'd done the option they'd given me. I, you said I could hire a lawyer. I have. And here's his name. Ten days later, we got a settlement that was no worries whatsoever. So I don't know. I don't know how it works, but I kept saying, I am going to let go of it. I'm going to let go of it. Am I perfect? No. Do I forgive myself? Yes. I mean, after they said all that, they sent the letter from the, the defendant, and she said, I hit her, but she didn't. I was wrong, but she hit me. And I wrote it back to the insurance company that her lawyer had it wrong. My lawyer said, don't say anything. Just be quiet now. I'm here. You know? And I listened to it. Did I still say something? Yes. Because I'm not perfect. But I didn't beat myself up. And I said, thank you, God, for putting this lawyer in my life so I don't have to have any stress. So there you have it. Okay, next one is Julia. Hi, thank you so much, Pamela. Um, good to hear you. You mentioned that uh, sugar and sugar substitutes are no longer a part of your life. Um, I was waiting to hear about fruit. So, ah. so I have that very specific question. Do you still have a relationship with fruit? Yes. And if so, could you talk about that? Okay, so... Okay, remember I've done 8 million diets three times. So um, first of all, I have to straighten out. I do sugar. I don't do sugar or chemical sugar substitutes. So there are some that are plant-based that I try. What do I, There's been research that I've read that has nothing to do with this program that sometimes it's like if an alcohol tastes some near beer, then he's going to want a, me a beer. So I, I want to make sure I don't set myself off from the sweet taste. But some sugar substitutes are so bad that they don't really make you think of sugar. You have to just accept them for what they are, and that's what I do. Fruit. I do fruit, but I try to eat fruit in an environment where it won't be like mainlining sugar. You know, when a diabetic goes into a coma, they have an orange. So I'm not going to eat an orange, but I'll eat an orange with a piece of cheese. I'll eat an orange with some nuts. I will try to balance out that thing that has that high glycemic index. That is sugar, sugar, sugar. Even though it might not even taste sweet, I try to balance that out with protein and fat which will slow down the absorption and won't do to my mind and my physical body what mainlining fruit is. I don't drink fruit juice, okay? That's too sweet for me. I don't do fruit juice. But I'll eat a piece of fruit as long as I can mitigate it with 
you know, some almonds or something like that. Next question is from Julie. Hi, Pamela. Thanks for jumping in and doing service. Um, how, if, if you've had a problem getting to the point of forgiveness to someone, what has been your path to get ready? And then particularly if it's happened that you've already done that with someone and then something else happens or new information comes to light and you're like, got to somehow do it again. Okay. So. Yes. Oh, my God. My daughter got divorced, and her ex I hated for a while. He was wrong. I was about to get on a soapbox. I wanted to take a plane and have a uh, – you know how the airplane comes with the streamer behind it? And, and mention all of his character defects. You know, that's how angry I was. But, you know, I thought of that thing I heard in the program. There – but for the grace of God, go I. So let's look at this person and let's look at where they're hurting. Because nobody does things because they just want it. They're feeling good, so they're going to stab you in the back. No. <laughs> People are feeling terrible and backed against the wall and afraid. And they're just having all kinds of miserable feelings. And I have to see that person, not as someone who was put on the planet to attack me, but someone who was put on the planet so I could lose, I could look and say, wow, they're feeling insecure. They're, they had a problem with their mother, their father, you know, their history was this. You know, you have to, you have to feel compassion. And that's what I have to do. Five minutes. We okay. Have a lot of questions. Oh, Bob. Hey, Pamela. Thank you very much for your share. As usual, wisdom comes through, and uh, I've learned something. I'm speaking in a couple of days, and there will be a couple of things I'll lift out of your share to add to mine. But the real question is, how long did it take you to count out eight? potato chips and set them aside before before you ate them um it, it it's it's really easy i get out i have a bowl that's the potato chip bowl i have a bowl that's my cereal bowl i mean but i weigh and measure i weigh and measure i because i just am a liar cheater and stealer and i will tell you i'm the only one that can make cheerios Three quarters of a cup fit in half a cup. You know, I just, I've got it just, I've got a way of doing it. So, you know, it doesn't, I just immediately say to myself, oh, I want potato chips. Okay. Okay. I'm not neutral. Try to be neutral. Try to, because there's nothing good and there's nothing bad. There just is what is. Sometimes I make worse choices. Sometimes I make better choices. But there is no good food. There is no bad food. But food is a serving. And I eat a serving of almost, you know, it says on the friggin' can or package or whatever it is what a serving is. So that's my serving. And sometimes I decide, well, I'm going to have, Two things, so I'll have a half serving of each. But it's it's nothing. I put the potato chips down, and 90% of the time I don't eat them till later. 
maybe 10 or 20% of the time, I come back in five minutes and say, I'm going to eat it. And you know, if I say, if that thought comes in my head, I want to eat more. I have a gentle abstinence. My abstinence says, okay, take a serving and put it in your dish. And I measure the serving and I put it in a dish and I set the dish aside and I say, now I'm going to wait five minutes. Nobody died in five minutes because they didn't get this food. And I just do that process over again. Sometimes I eat three servings, not too often, but I don't beat myself up. I take them, I write them down. Then when it comes to dinner, I say, oh, poo. <laughs> well, I'm not going to eat nachos for dinner because I've had my chips. You know what I mean? You just kind of look at it. You look to see what you've eaten. And if you feel for dinner, you still want to have nachos, you have your nachos. And that day wasn't a perfect day. And thank God, none of my days are perfect days. That day may have a little more food in it than I had really wanted to eat. But I trust that my higher power will take me through the next day. And when I get up, I'm going to say, oh, I really think I'm just going to have a half a serving of cereal this morning. That's all I'm going to have. No, I've never had those thoughts before. But I trust my higher power will adjust my appetite to agree with what my food plan is and what is perfect for me. That's the best I can do.